Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to come and to share with you tonight. I'm, as the DVD and as was introduced, we've been, our family's been working with Global Interaction in Malawi and we left and we've been in Malawi since January 2000. And we've been back for a while and in just under two weeks we're returning for our second term of service to work among those people, uh, to do life and to do ministry with them. So it's a great honour for me to come and to share with you something of the work of Global Interaction and, and something of our story, something of my story as I've tried and my best to give myself to serving these people, a people who are very needy, a people who in some sense are very much unlike us. They're, they're the majority in the world. They're the poor. And I'm going to speak to you about the poor and I want to do that as we, as we reflect and as I bring to you some scriptures. And there are two passages in which I'd like to reflect upon tonight. And the first one of those passages is found in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So let me just read that uh, passage to you. Paul says there, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I want you to reflect on those words of the Apostle Paul and to hold that intention as we now look at the words of Jesus, uh, particularly found in, in the book of Acts. Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and following. I'll just read uh, verse, verse 8 tonight. And this is what the risen Christ said to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In verse 9 he goes on to say that after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So we're looking at two passages in the New Testament, first from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and also here from Acts chapter 1, the words of Jesus to his disciples just before Pentecost, just before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said to those who follow him, wait, wait, because you're going to, I'm going to send the Spirit and you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses in this world. And I'd like to reflect on those two passages tonight, and particularly about global interaction. It may well be the, the title on the video and the name of the mission that I work for, but the idea of global interaction is very much a theme of Scripture. And those two passages which we're going to consider tonight, they help us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and our response to the world. You see, interacting with the world is not really an option. God has made us to be in relationship with the world in which he made, and let's face it, that every day to greater or lesser degrees we are being impacted by the world around us. The world is impacting our lives. The moment we switch on the radio, the moment we watch TV, drive our car, whatever we're doing, we are being impacted by the world around us. And I think that as we go about life and the busyness of life, that it's very helpful to pause and to reflect and particularly to ask ourselves two fundamental questions. And these are the questions here. What impact is the world having upon us? And the second question I believe we need to ask is what impact are we having on the world? You see, I think that's what the passages are saying to us. And Paul's helping us and wanting us to understand what impact is the world having on us? And then as we think of the words of Jesus, I think his question to his disciples was, what impact are you going to have on the world? 
Because I'm going to empower you, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you and you're going to be making a difference in this world. You see, global interaction, we hold that intention with the tremendous pressure to conform. And it seems from that Romans 12 passage that Paul was very concerned about what impact the world was having on those who followed Jesus in Rome in the first century. That's his audience, that's who he's writing to, those who were following Jesus in the first century. Our context is considerably different to that of first century Rome. But we also live amidst tremendous pressure, pressure to conform to the world around us. You see, we live in such a consumer sort of orientated society where it's so easy to be caught up, it's so easy to give your entire life in the pursuit of the material. You can go from the cradle to the grave with one focus in life, to acquire material possessions. It's very easy to be caught up in such a system, in such a world, because that's the pressure of the West. That's the pressure of being a consumer. In no sense do you buy one mobile phone and the next day there's a new, mo- there's a new model. You buy one computer and then within the next week there's a new one, there's a new chip out. You see, consumerism exists but you always need more. And that one technology leads to a dependence on another so you can give your whole life accumulating material possessions and not blink an eyelid. Global interaction. But Paul says to us in this passage in the New Testament that we are not to conform. In fact, we are to be transformed. Have you ever felt pressured to conform to the world around you? I have. To be like everybody else, to have the things that other people have. It just depends on what stage of life you're at, but there are certainly things that are marketed specifically for each stage of life. We want things, and we particularly want the things what other people have. They may be related to technology. They might be related to vehicles, to fashion, to wealth, and to investments, just to name a few. But it's so easy that we can spend our entire life consumed by such things. And that's a danger for those who follow Jesus. In no sense am I suggesting that these things are wrong or intrinsically evil in themselves, but there is a real danger that our lives can become so influenced and even controlled by them that we end up losing our God-given distinctiveness, our God-given purpose in life shifts from being a person who gives their life as a living sacrifice daily to God and his service to a life which is just about iPods. And it's at that moment that we fail to comprehend the true nature of the living God and what he has called us to. And we fail to understand what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross that we might have forgiveness, that we might have new life, that we might receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered to be his people. Paul reminded those in Rome not to lose sight of of their God-given distinctiveness and their purpose. I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson in the message translates this verse and it will appear on the screen now. Is that This is how it appears in the message where there we will read that do not become so well adjusted to your culture that that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside. You see, it's so easy to go about life and to be squeezed by the world around us that we just fit in, that we end up becoming like everybody else, consumed by the material, and that becomes 
the number one passion and the number one pursuit in our life. As followers of Jesus, I believe the scriptures call us to make a conscious effort not to be pressured to conform to the culture around us because the world in which we live operates on a very different axis. In some sense, as we think of this passage in Romans, Paul says that we need to be transformed. Our minds need to be changed. In some sense, we need a new way of thinking. We need to have a new perspective on life. We need to have a new perspective on, on God and who God is and what God has called us to. We need to, a new way of thinking in relation to how we respond to one another. We need a new way of thinking. We need to be transformed in, in relation to our response to the world, our response to the environment. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not to be conformed. You see, it's God's purpose, I believe God's desire is that those who follow Jesus, those who say, I'm a Christian, that those people, that each one of us who follow Jesus will live their lives on a daily basis to God and to his service. It's not simply something that we do on Sunday. It's got to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day following Jesus. Do not conform, but be transformed. In the second passage that, was that we read from the book of Acts, there we find that, reflecting on global interaction, that we are to be witnesses for Jesus in every place. And you see, when Jesus spoke to his disciples after the resurrection, he says to them something very significantly in verse 8 of that passage, where he said to the disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit, as I understand the text, is not that they would feel good about themselves, but the disciples would actually be empowered to bear witness, to live for Jesus, and to tell other people about Jesus. The Spirit was going to empower the disciples, and I believe the Spirit empowers and resides within every person who loves and is a child of God to help them to bear witness to Jesus. Clearly Jesus intends that those who follow him would be interacting with the world around them. Global interaction, to be witnesses for Jesus. You see, God's vision for the world really is global. And I'd just like to read a familiar verse to us, which maybe we've heard many times, and it's found in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, verse 9. And there we find John's experience, and he says to us that after this he looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. You see, where is the world going? You see, God's concern for the world is so global that heaven will be incomplete unless there are people from every tribe, every nation and every tongue represented worshipping Jesus for eternity. God made the world with this purpose in mind that people from every tribe, every nation and every language would assemble there for eternity and worship him. That's God's purposes for the world, to worship him. But how are people are going to hear unless those who follow Jesus, his disciples, are witnesses for him in every place? You know, our family's been working in Malawi for a number of years now, and, and Malawi is certainly a place where tourists don't go. 
You know, if you're trying to get that round-the-world ticket, <laughs> you're never going to get a stopover in Malawi because people don't stop there. See, Malawi is a place where backpackers don't go, where celebrities like Nicole Kidman, they don't go to Malawi. There is no paparazzi in Malawi. Why? Because there's nothing to support that economy. They can't buy CDs. They can't buy fashion. So people who are just more consumed about themselves will not go to a place like that. In some sense, it's a lonely place. It's a forgotten place. But why would we go there? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples that you will be my witnesses. You will bear testimony, you will live for me in every place and you will speak about Jesus, beginning in Jerusalem, going from there to Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to places like Malawi. We are to bear witness to Jesus. Malawi is a forgotten place. They are a forgotten people. Life is incredibly hard for people in Malawi. You see, in Malawi, teenage girls, they get married at about age 13. Would you like to be 13 and get married? Well, that's what happens in the community in which I live. And not only do they get married when they're about 12 or 13, but by the age of 14, they're having their first child. See, this is the world that we live in. Everywhere in the world is not like Wodonga. There are places where teenage girls get married, where one in 15 women die in childbirth. A girl who was a a friend of my wife, her name is Twaina, and she was helping my wife learn the local language, and, and Twaina was very special to us as a family. She was unlike other women her own age, and what sort of made her very different from others is that she didn't actually have a child, she didn't have sex before she got married. And most people do that in, that, in the culture in where we live. And she was very special, and she prayed five times a day. She feared God. In fact, she kept the fast of Ramadan every year that we met her, that we knew her. She was learning to speak Arabic so that she could better understand the Quran and follow God as she knew how. So she married a Muslim cleric and she moved away to a village some distance from our house. And the next time we heard about Twaina is that she'd been admitted to the hospital in our town. She'd come there because she needed to have a caesarean section birth. And that's where people come to our town for that to happen. So we went to visit her in hospital and she gave birth to that child. And, but that's sort of where the problem started. Because for four days they forgot to give Twaina fluid. She didn't have any milk to feed the baby, so the baby was starving, a newborn baby. So she got the, her parents, her mother got the baby and put it under her bed to die. Because Twaina had developed this infection. And that Twaina was not doing too well at all. So my wife and the other wives, uh, the missionaries that we work with, they went there on a daily basis to try and help Twaina. They bought formula so they could bottle feed this newborn infant which couldn't receive milk from its mother. We tried everything we could for Twaina and my wife said, I'm going back tomorrow and I'm going to read to Twaina a psalm about God's comfort and about God's purposes. Well, that night Twaina died. I went to the hospital and I had to carry her body and put it in my car. And then I had to drive 70 kilometres to take her body to her family. And nothing can describe the sense of grief. When I arrived at that village and instead of bringing a child, I brought the dead mother. This is the world that we live in. A world where it's so easy to conform to be like everyone else and to forget about people like Twaina. But let, friends, let me say, we are the minority. Most people in this world today are suffering. Most people in this world don't get to drive past churches 
In fact, most people don't even have an opportunity to have a hearing of the gospel. People like Twaina. One in 15 women die. You know, one in four children, they die before they turn five. 52% of the population live on less than 15 cents a day. And here's the challenge. I'll give you 14 cents and see if you can live. These people are dying. These people are dying because they don't even have one meal a day. But they can't even go to hospital without dying. Where they don't even have medicine to treat malaria. They go because they're sick and they're given Panadol. They go home and they die. This is reality. This is the world in which we live. One in 2.5 people in our district have AIDS. Over 30% of the population is going to die. There is no retroviral program where we live. <coughs> Elsie, well, sister, was a very good friend of my wife and Elsie had moved to the city because she got married. And she got married there and she went to the city to work and to, to serve her husband, to get firewood and to carry water because that's part of the responsibility that a wife has in Malawi. But after some time, uh, Elsie got sick. So the husband sent Elsie back to the village, the, back to the place, the town where we live. And Elsie just didn't seem to get better. And we took her to some private clinics, some private hospitals to get medication, to buy tablets, antibiotics. And for two years, we were trying to, to help Elsie get some health. But over those two years, it seemed that every month Elsie was getting slimmer and slimmer. And nothing that we would do, or no, no place where we t could take her to doctors, they didn't seem to be able to do anything to, to turn that around. And then the next time we heard from Elsie's sister, she said, come, Elsie's in hospital, you must come to visit her. So I went to visit Elsie in hospital, and there she lay in this, in this, in this female ward, and there were about 80 people. And there's one nurse and 80 patients. And I was sort of in this nurse, a female ward, and I'm a, a white foreigner standing there in the sea of black faces. And they're going, what are you doing here? And I said, I've come to visit Elsie. She's a friend of our family. And then I went to find a doctor and I had to get a doctor to say, look, what are you doing? How are you caring for Elsie? And what medicine can you give her? What can you do for this lady? There was just lying there. And I said to Elsie, I'll go home and I'll come back. And I went home and I got some Fanta. I bought two bottles of Fanta and Fanta is like the wonder drink of Africa. And then you, whenever you go to visit someone in hospital, you take them Fanta, you take them soft drink because it has sugar, it has energy for them, it has some sort of substance for them to sort of have energy to get through that day. So I took two bottles of Fanta and I gave them to Elsie. And I was talking to Elsie and I said to her how God had created you, Elsie, I said, God has made you for eternity to be with him for eternity. And then everyone's there and I'm talking her language and I'm praying and I'm sort of sharing with her and, and everyone's listening. And I just said, well, I don't care what people are saying or what people are thinking. My concern is for Elsie, that she gets the best care, that she gets fanner, that she gets medication and that I'll pray for her. And I shared and I prayed for her and I went home. And that night, Elsie stepped into eternity she was 21 and she died of AIDS. But she died knowing Jesus. This is the world in which we live. In a world where life expectancy is only 36 or 37, 
you know, I'm 39 years of age and, and people look at me and the grey hair that's starting to sprout out all over the place and, and they say, well, you're old because there's not many people around 39 in our community. There's lots of children, there's a few grandparents, but there's no sort of age or generation of the 30-something. They're all gone and they're going. People only live to their 36. And, and sort of the greater challenge that's before us as we think of these words of Jesus when he said, go and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, is that there are people in Malawi who have little or no knowledge of Jesus. They never have an opportunity to hear about Jesus because no one's gone to tell them about Jesus. That's the challenge. And when we look at the physical and the spiritual needs of the Yao people, why shouldn't people who know and follow Jesus go to places like Malawi? I think the greater question is why should we stay when we live in a world where there is such need and that we can make a difference in this world? Why should we stay? Why not go to places like Malawi? You see, there's much about life in Malawi which falls short of God's purposes for the world. Surely God's people in his strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit, they can make a difference. We can make a difference in this world. We may not be able to change and address every problem that exists in the world today, but there is much that we can do. So let us, not, let us focus on not what we can't do, but let us focus on what we can do. The skilling that God has given us, the resources that God has given us, the responsibility to manage those resources to be stewards of what God entrusts us with. What about choosing a career on the basis of what impact that career could have on the kingdom? Wouldn't that be fantastic? But you'd actually choose a profession that that profession could serve people. That profession could make a difference in the world, but I'm not going to choose a profession simply for the sake of acquiring and building up this material world. That's not God's purpose for our life. If God has skilled you and resourced you and provided you with the ability to earn income, then why not use some of that income to make a kingdom difference in the world? We're talking about eternity, where there are people in this world tonight who are going to go to bed hungry, who are going to go to bed having never heard the message of Jesus. And I think we need to have a conscience. We need to have, you know, God is the God of justice. And it becomes an issue of justice. How can it be that those who have so much, and if you're a part of the West, you, you fit into that equation, how can it be that people in the West fail to respond to the needs of the ultra-poor? Not just handing out money, but helping them, trying to improve their lives so that they have a fair go. That, children, that young girls don't die in childbirth. That, that those who have AIDS have access to medication that's available to us here in Australia. We can make a difference. I honestly be, believe we can make the world a better place because we've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us, to resource us, and to enable us to impact the world. I think in real and tangible ways, each one of our lives, if we say that we follow Jesus, our lives should demonstrate that God is in the business of changing people's lives. And that each one of our lives, that, that have, each one of us who have come to know and trust in Jesus, we can make a difference. And it begins at home, in your relationship with your parents, 
in your relationship with your spouse, in relationship with those who teach you at school or at university, in your relationship with those who are your employers, those in your street, those in the places where you shop, to live for Jesus, to bear witness in the power of the Holy Spirit, not to conform, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to think about these things. I want you to think about the words of Jesus. You see, there's nothing more fulfilling in life than to live your life according to God's purposes, to worship him. But we need to bring him more than a song. True worship is the giving of our lives on a daily basis. That's why Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's costly and that's a daily discipline. God made us for global interaction. Let's pray.